Welcome to Faith Talks, United Methodist Women's Podcast. My name is Emily Jones. I'm the Executive for Racial Justice at the National Office of United Methodist Women. And as you may have noticed, we are in a bit of a role reversal today. Jennifer Farmer, the beloved host of Faith Talks, is here today with us as a guest. And I'm sitting in her seat and have the deep privilege of interviewing her as we celebrate the launch of her new book, First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and in Life, which will be released next month. Jennifer's voice is familiar to many of us as the host of this podcast, but we might not know all of the hats she wears. Jennifer Farmer is an author, a lecturer, a strategic communications advisor, a writer, a trainer, and an activist communicator. In addition to First and Only, she is the author of Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget, A Strategy Guide, and her work has appeared in numerous publications, including The Blavity, Society for Nonprofits, Chronicle of Philanthropy, CNN, The Root, HuffPost, Lifehack, PR Daily, Red Letter Christians, and more. Jennifer is the founder of Spotlight PR LLC, a boutique firm specializing in communication strategy and training for leaders and groups committed to social and racial justice. And of course, she is the regular host of United Methodist Women's podcast, Faith Talks. We are so glad that you are here with us today to share more about this powerful book, First and Only. Those of us who think about leadership know that the market is really full. There are books, there are podcasts, there are blog posts uh, full of general uh, leadership advice. Um, And yet, as you note um, in your book, that much of the literature really is silent on issues of race, sex, and gender, um, and doesn't effectively speak to the unique needs of uh, Black women, to use your language. You write, and I quote, there are a ton of books on preparing for on-the-job success, particularly with a first job. There are fewer that offer insight on what it takes to be successful from a racial justice and racial equity perspective. So tell us more, why is that? And how does your book really speak to fill that particular and and, um, so important gap? So the best example that I can give is I'm someone who wants to improve. You know, when you talk about leadership development, I've always been interested in leadership development content because I want to be the best leader that I can be. And so I would go to Barnes and Noble. Um, I would go to Half Price Books, which is a, a, a chain that we, we have in Columbus. And I would pick out the leadership books and I would read them and I would say, okay, now I'm ready. Now I can go back into this workplace. I'm going to um, meet the challenges. I'm going to prove myself that I should be there, that I'm capable. And I would be so fired up after reading these books. Uh, John C. Maxwell is a phenomenal author and I've read many of his books. I read The Confidence Code. I read uh, Good to Great. I read Jeffrey Fox, um, How to Become CEO. And then when I went into the workplace, I realized that those books did not speak to what I would experience. And a perfect example is all of my life, I've tried different things with my hair. And, um, you know, I've been in work situations where I had one boss who said, well, um, is that is that really your hair or is it an extension? And he said it in a crowded room. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I said, you know, why would you ask that? And he said, well, everyone knows that it's not your hair. And I said, right, but you're the only person who felt entitled to ask and to mention it. And so, um, but then even the politics of do you respond or do you just politely shake your head and go along? 
And, you know, a lot of times if black women advocate for themselves, we can be accused of being angry or we could be accused of, oh, she's just, she's too serious. You know, you need to lighten up. And so what I wanted to do when I wrote the book was to speak to some of the real life examples that um, black women are likely to find themselves in and to give some advice on how one might counter it, but also to affirm, yes, I see you. Yes, I know that there's this terrible stereotype that, that you are angry, that you are loud, that you are aggressive. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is something that I've had to navigate quite a bit is, you know, if you're in a hostile work environment or if you're in a hostile uh, dynamic within your family, some people will go along to get along. They won't say anything. They will, um, they will grin, they will bear it, and they will just internalize it. Other people will um, lash out and they will react and they will try to push back on what they're experiencing. And for people who push back and, and for what they're experiencing, they could be labeled angry or they could be labeled too aggressive or not a good fit. And so I talk about that dynamic and basically um, what I encourage uh, women to, to do is to think about who the allies are in the organization, who you can enlist for your support, to think about who you can take it to and to take it to someone who actually has the capacity to impact change. And so um, those are some of the reasons that, uh, that, that I wrote the book. And it's not just the hair, it's the tone police. You know, I have another section in the, in the book where I talk about anger and I talk about, um, you know, sometimes when we see someone and they appear to be ang angry, what they could be facing is depression or what they could be facing is sadness. And so when we think about depression and sadness, we have this one view of what depression and sadness looks like. And that view is someone who is melancholy, someone who is downcast within their spirit. We are not used to recognizing anger as a symptom of depression or anger as a symptom of sadness. And I talk about my experience with that. Um, when I had my daughter, I had her as, uh, as a single mom. And I remember going back to work and having all these emotions of, you know, do I need to be the Jennifer that I was before I got pregnant? Um, who, who am I now? How do I show up well for social justice and racial justice and still be a present and engaged mom? Is that even possible? And at the same time that I was dealing with that, I was grieving the loss of a relationship that I had hoped would be lifelong. And so I was, I was profoundly hurt. I was dealing with postpartum depression and I was just not in a good place. It, you know, so on, for some days I cried on end. And I think to people around me, they may have interpreted what I was uh, displaying as anger. But what it really was, was sadness and hurt and confusion. And so um, I talk about that in the book and, and ways that we should give each other grace and be prayerful so that as we interact with each other, we aren't stopped by the surface level appearance, but we will go to God and seek wisdom to find out if there's something else underneath there and if there's a way that God wants to use us in a person's life.
One of the things that I really appreciate about this book, which is just beautiful, I, I read it twice because um, it's a quick read, but then there's so much there that you want to go back and, and re-explore and reprocess. And one of the things that I really appreciate is that so many texts act like these are separate, separate lanes. And there's the social justice lane, yes. and then there's the devotional lane, and then there's your wellness and career advancement lane, as though people don't exist as, as whole beings uh, yes. that have... Um, you know, all of this have to do all this at once, right? Yes. Uh, interconnected. Um, and uh, so while it's a book about strategies for workplace success, and that's very clear um, from the title, uh, building a meaningful career and moving forward, advancing in that career, um, you really resist the urge to treat professional success as a, as a separate category, apart from the rest of a woman's life, apart from spiritual wholeness, emotional well-being, um, the body's health and, and really her joy. Um, so this is a much more comprehensive approach. Um, so why is that? Tell us about how you approach work, life, spirituality, and wellness, the, the bigger whole. Well, you know, the thing is, um, you can't slice a person and say, okay, well, this part of you is wellness. This part is health. This part is faith. No, we, we are one, you know, we're, we're combined. And I don't believe that, it, that you can separate the personal from the professional. We try to do that, but I don't think that that is always effective. And I don't think that we always should. I also believe that for a lot of people, if we operate in our gift, you know, if we're sensitive to the spirit in terms of where God wants to place us and we operate in that gift, then you can't separate your faith from what you're doing. A perfect example, I care about racial justice. I care about social justice, not just because I'm a black woman, but because I'm a child of God. And God compels me to be concerned about issues of justice. And so I can't separate the two. And at the beginning of the book, I have a section and it's not really called trigger warnings, but I talk about, you know, hey, listen, if you are someone who's not a person of faith, I'm gonna talk about my faith because that is me being authentic to who I am. And what I'm recommending is that as we interact with, with one another, that we see each other holistically. You're not just uh, Emily who leads the racial justice practice for United Methodist Women, you're also a mother. You know? And so we have these different identities and these different identities, they are what enable us to work and to, to greet and to have an influence on different people. I really appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the power with which you talk about faith. You have a very moving story um, about an experience you had of, of prayer um, as you were in a very work packed, um, yes. uh, work packed period of time. Um, yes. So if you're comfortable sharing, sure. sharing about that, I think we'd love to hear about that and other ways that faith has really supported you on your journey. Sure. So um, this experience, um, I've written about it, not only in the book, but also for Red Letter Christians. And you know, sometimes we can overestimate our capacity. And I particularly am guilty of that sin of like saying, oh no, I can do it, I can do it. And it was a situation where I had grossly um, underestimated or overestimated my capacity. And I agreed to run two different trainings in one day. And so in the morning, I think I was facilitating um, a session for, for one client. And in the afternoon, I was leading um, a racial bias training for another, another client. And the lead up to that training, I had a lot of st stress, a lot of anxiety, because not only am I facilitating these trainings, but remember, I'm also a working mother. 
I'm also a business owner. And at that point, I had two puppies, you know, so I was worried about my puppies um, being at home all day. I was worried about the my commute, how much time it would take for me to get from the suburbs of Washington, D.C. into the city and D.C. traffic. And so I just had a lot of anxiety, so much so that when I walked into that training, I had a headache. And um, the first training was with a religious organization. And um, I, I had never done that up until that point. But I felt compelled after I led the training to ask the women if they would just say a prayer for me. In my head, I thought, you know, I would like a prayer because I'm going into this training on racial justice. I don't know if the audience is going to be responsive and I just want them to pray. And so I thought about it, you know, do you ask? What are they going to think if you ask? If you don't ask, you know, then is that you being prideful? And so I'm, I'm literally having this dialogue Emily, in my head about what to do. And I decided, no, you have not because you asked not. And so I said, you know, um, once we wrapped, you know, uh, would, would you all mind just saying a prayer for me? And um, the response, you know, I have to be careful how I tell this story because it can literally bring tears to my eyes. And so um, one lady who was sitting right next to me said, absolutely. You know, I, um, I, I travel with anointing oil. And so she goes in her bag and she pulls out some oil. Another woman who was across the conference room table, she said, yes, I have everything that, I, that we would need for an altar. And so she pulls out a bag, she puts a napkin on the table, a candle um, and some prayer beads. Another woman says, well, I have prayer beads. Another woman, uh, older woman, she, during the training, I didn't notice, but she was painting rocks. And I thought, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I know she was doing something. And then she pulled out a rock and said, I have these inspirational rocks. And the rocks basically had encouraging scriptures and sayings from the Bible. And so um, another woman said, yeah, you know, let me sing a song. And so one, one lady breaks out in song and talking in and, and the song, I don't remember all the words, but it talked about Christians being light in the world. Another woman uh, put prayer beads around my neck. Another lady came over and she anointed my head. And then they got together and they prayed. And when I tell you, I, I literally felt heat from their prayer. And at that point, I lost all composure. I'm sitting there, I'm bawling, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm both stunned. It's like, okay, you, you think you know people and then you ask them to pray and they just kind of jump up and put on their uniforms and everyone starts praying. And you know, when the prayer was over, the woman who had been painting the rocks, she brought me two rocks. And then she also brought me two bracelets. And one bracelet said, um, you are enough. And the other bracelet said, don't give up. And then she put these rocks in my hand. And when I tell you, I went into that other training with a sense of purpose, determination, assurance, and I mean, my eyes were probably still puffy because that's how much I cried. And so that is a perfect example of how faith has, has shown up and sustained me in the work that I do. An another great example is I have a friend, we've been friends for probably 20 years. And um, whenever I feel, uh, and she's also a Christian woman, but whenever I feel down on myself, I remember I called her one day and I was feeling kind of down and and I think I was probably doing some self-loathing, Emily. 
And so I was saying, you know, and, and I, I didn't do this right. And I didn't do this. And my friend Amanda, she said, hey, she said, don't talk about my friend like that. I don't appreciate it. And then she pointed me back to scripture. And she said, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And that my soul knows, you know, um, well. And we went through that scripture. And I have found that over the 20 years of our friendship, she throws that scripture out repeatedly. And so when I think about the work that I do, the people who I've had a chance to work with, uh, I'm at the point now where I don't believe that it's a coincidence. And the final story that I will tell you is for years, I did my work and I didn't really talk about my faith. I just kind of did my work. And in um, the spring of 2013, I had an assignment to go to North Carolina. And um, this was another situation where I, over, um, I overestimated my capacity. So that morning I ran a half marathon in DC but I had promised that I was gonna to go to North Carolina because there was this minister who was gonna stage protest at the North Carolina State Capitol. And so I'm sitting on the plane, I'm not in a good mood. You know, Jennifer, why did you volunteer for this? You know, and now you gotta go and you gotta work. You can't even let, you can't even rest. You haven't got the cupcake that you wanted. You earned that cupcake with all those miles that you run, you ran. And I was in a terrible mood, Emily. I mean, not a good mood at all. And so I, um, I fly to North Carolina, I land, I get my rental car, and this man is having a prayer service for the people who are going to be a part of the prophetic witness at the state house the next day. And so I had to go to the prayer service. And so again, I'm mumbling in my heart and, you know, you, know, you, 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 you volunteer too much and you should have sent someone else on your team. So I go into this church and um, immediately I was struck. And if you all don't know who I'm talking about by now, I'm talking about Bishop uh, William Barber. And it was the very first protest he had at the North Carolina Capitol. And so when I get into this church, there are people who have volunteered to be arrested as part of the prophetic witness the next day. And I was struck because um, it wasn't just um, Black people. It was Black people. It was white people. And there was a love. The love was palpable. And I could feel it. And I walked up to Reverend Barber and I said, you know, you, you don't know me, I'm from DC, but I'm here to help you. And he said, well, how do you know I don't know you? And I said, well, duh, because we've never met. <laughs> and so we kind of laughed. And by the end of that night, he had said, I want you to lead the comms for this operation. A few weeks go by and I'm going to North Carolina a lot. And he calls me up and he said, Jennifer, you know, I don't want you to think that it's a coincidence that you and I are together. You're a woman of faith. You were raised in the church. You understand uh, what it means to have a moral witness. You understand that. And now you and I are together. And at that point, I said, okay. I said, all right, so maybe this is bigger than me. And maybe while I believe that I'm just doing this one task, maybe there's a way that God can use it in his broader plan. God is using you in all kinds of extraordinary and powerful ways. I want to keep digging deeper on that, um, but I know that that I want to make sure everyone knows first and only a Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and in Life from Broadleaf Books. And tell us, uh, for those who are already excited um, to purchase it, how can you uh, pre-order um, and when can we expect to get this uh, book into our hands? Okay, so if you order from Amazon, Amazon is shipping books right now. 
Now they're supposed to wait until February 9th, which is the release date, but they're shipping books right now. And I'm gonna ask you to order this book for yourself if you have the, the means to do so and to order a copy for, for a friend. Uh, God told me to write this book and I did it as an act of obedience. And I believe there are women whose lives will be impacted and changed from, from this book. So you can order it from amazon.com. You can order it from any Christian retailer because it is a Christian book. You can order it from Barnes and Noble. You can order it from Broadleaf Books and Broadleaf is the publisher. Um, you can order it from Walmart. You can order it from Target. So the, the only difference is if you order it from Amazon, you get it in a couple days like now. And then because the official release date is February 9th, if you order it from any other bookseller, you'll get it right after February 9th. Uh, well, you describe first and only, and I'm using your, your words here as a love letter, a manifesto for progress and a leadership resource dedicated to your, your daughter and five nieces with, with these words. These are your words. May you go without being asked, speak without seeking permission and create without a fear of failure. So why this dedication and what is your hope for the next generation, the generation of black women that come after you? So um, I spent most of my life waiting for permission, waiting for someone to look at me and say, um, do this. I spent most of my life hiding in the shadows, hiding behind the scenes, feeling like I was not good enough to bring my voice to the forefront. And I remember having lunch with a friend of mine and um, she asked me what I was waiting for. And she said, you know, you have so many gifts, you have so many talents, why don't you just go and be great? And when she asked me that question, I thought about it. And I said, what am I waiting for? Who am I waiting for? And I decided at that point that I was going to use everything that God gave me. And that um, when I leave this earth, you will know that I was here because all I will use all of my gifts. And for future generations, what I want to say to them is don't wait half of your life to use what you have. Your gifts may not be mine, but you have something else that has been given to you and use it. Don't wait for anyone to tell you it's okay. Don't um, wait for someone else to co-sign what has been told to you. Just go and do it. And even if it doesn't always um, erupt in applause or even if it doesn't result in applause, do it anyway. Even if sometimes you fail, if you believe that you've been called to that, then that's okay. Failure is a part of the process. And so um, I want them to live fully. I want them to live without fear. And I most importantly want them not to wait for other people to see the vision that God has given to them. And so that's why I dedicated it to, to my nieces and to my daughter. And that is my hope for generations, for future generations. Thank you so much. And I hope you're seeing uh, these words of encouragement coming through the chat. Um, you are already speaking to so many hearts um, and making a powerful, powerful difference. Um, and I appreciate you, you um, talk about this tendency uh, to, to ask for permission. And you name that actually in part two, as you talk about myths to resist, uh, that one of the myths is that we must ask permission. Um, tell us a little bit more about what are some of the um, the myths that are that are given and the myths that that must be resisted. Well, one myth is that um, is that you need to ask for permission. 
And what I encourage people to do is when you start a job, when you start a new working relationship, get really clear about the authority that you have for that position and then do what's in your realm of uh, what's in your purview. You know, don't feel like you have to run everything by someone else, especially if it's already been established that you have the power, you have the authority to do it. Resist that myth. Um, one, it takes away your power. You know, when you go and ask someone, hey, Emily, can I do this? When you already have the power to do it, it, it takes away your power. You feel that. You may not be able to say it. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but you feel it and the other person feels it as well. And so I encourage people to hold on to your, hold on to, um, to your power. I encourage people to um, get really clear about what they're supposed to do and then to, to go and, and, and to do it. And I also encourage people to really um, do a lot of self-discovery because as you learn yourself and as you learn what you are called to do, if someone gives you feedback that doesn't feel right, you, you'll be able to discern it you know, a, lot, a lot faster. Yes, absolutely. And that, that work of discernment you talk about as being so important as you're, um, as you're receiving feedback to you know what feedback to listen to and what feedback not to, to, to engage um, uh, carefully. I want to lift up, I see a question um, in the chat here uh, from Janice who asks, um, how can your book be used to educate a white people in anti-racism? For, for folks who look like, like me, what can be um, the gift uh, in this book? One gift is um, is learn is reading the book and seeing another person's perspective. There are things that I know based on my social location, and there are things that if you don't have my social location, you just won't know unless you know someone writes about it. So so read the book to get a sense of um, of walking in my shoes, so to speak. The more exposure to you that you have to different people's ideas, to different um, women's ideas and what they go through, what they think about, that will help you. And so I, I recently wrote an article on ways to be an ally for racial justice. And one thing that I said is that we have to commit to see, you know, we have to commit to see. And sometimes if you aren't in proximity to someone who's different from you, then you may not have an appreciation of, uh, of what they go through. But committing to see is saying, okay, I wanna to try to understand what you experience. I wanna to try to understand why if I say something, it may resonate with you in a different way. And when I talk about commit to seeing, I'll give you an example of something that I found that was just beautiful. Um, when George Floyd died, it evoked a lot of emotion and his death was not the first at the hands of, of police. And so for some people, it was like compounded trauma. When he died, I, 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 felt, um, I felt really down and I didn't really know how to verbalize how I was feeling. And so I didn't say anything to, to many people. And um, um, I have a copy editor, she's a white woman and she emailed me and she said, Jennifer, I heard about George Floyd and I don't know what to say, but I want you to know that I love you. I appreciate doing this work with you and I, I want to learn. I didn't tell her to email me, she saw. And she said, okay, well, I wonder how this is impacting her. And she took the chance to just email me. 
um, Elizabeth Lee with United Methodist Women, she and I were doing a call around that period and she just asked me, are you okay? And when she asked me if I was okay, I broke down and I cried and I think she cried too. And so that was her committing to see. And so when, when, you, when you read the book and you hear from one black woman's perspective of what it's like to walk in different spaces, that will give you an awareness. And with that awareness, it will help you to see and you will automatically pick up and you will learn. Now, the trick is, you know, don't just read my book and feel like you have it. It's lifelong work. And so you have to read a lot. But the more exposure you have to the ideas, you know, um, the better off it is for you. So what I what I say to to my friends who are white is I say, OK, well, God brought us together for a reason. My job is to tell you what my experience is and to be 100 percent honest with you. And um, and I, I tell my, my one girlfriend, I said, I'm not going to have you out in the world like you don't know. I'm going to tell you so that you know. And I feel like that is a part of our covenant if we're going to be in relationship with each other. I so appreciate that. You, you say, um, and this rings so true, if you are not actively a part of the solution, you are contributing um, to the problem. And really talks about this, this need uh, for all of us to lean into this, the, the work of anti-racism as a regular um, daily uh, committed spiritual practice, not, um, not a, a, a one and um, done. You, you um, mentioned the importance of uh, engaging from a number of different um, uh, authors as well. So, so tell us, um, in addition to your book, which hopefully we are all pre-ordering now, um, your book, First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and Life from Broadleaf Books, available for pre-order. Um, but in addition to your book, uh, what, should we what we should we be reading? What other um, women of faith are writing on these questions? So um, Christy Lauren Adams has a book called um, uh, Parable of the Brown Girl. And the book is, it's about parables in the Bible, but she talks about it from the lens of, you know, how a, a black girl, a teen or a young girl might, might hear those stories. And so that's a phenomenal book. Um, Austin Channing Brown has, uh, has a new book out and I believe it's called, um, it's a, a green cover and I have it upstairs. Um, I forget what it's called, but pick up that book. It's Austin Channing Brown and she's also written a lot. Lisa Sharon Harper has, has written a lot. I also read uh, Professor Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that's phenomenal. Um, and then the other thing that I do that I would encourage you, you the, the audience to do is, when I'm on social media, I try to be intentional about following people who are very different from me. And I follow them because I want to hear and I wanna see their perspective. And so over the past couple of years, I've been really intentional about following people from the disability rights community. And in following them and watching what they post and reading their articles, I see the ways in which um, I have not always seen them. I see the ways in which I have assumed that my experience is, is the norm when there are people who, um, who are very, very different. And so I think that by reading a lot, I've given you a few examples, um, and then also by who you follow on social media, and then the other thing that I can't, um, I can't state enough is that who you're in relationship with. Like you really need to be in relationship with people who, who look different from you. Um, Rita put something in the chat that I just wanna call out. 
And um, she said black women have had to apply uh, white women's books for their lives for a long time. And, um, and I just want to call that out because that's so true. When I was coming up, because my mother was an evangelist, she went to churches all over the city and me and my sister and brother went right along. And so from week to week, we could be in very different churches. And I learned at an early age that you can learn something from everybody. Everybody has something to teach. It's whether or not we're willing to listen. And I've been to, I worked for a Lutheran organization as their communications director. And so I went to, I went to uh, a ton of Lutheran churches. And then I had a boss who was Presbyterian and, uh, or a mentor, excuse me, who was Presbyterian and I went to church with her. And what I learned in all those experiences is knowledge and information is available and the challenge is to keep ourselves, to keep ourselves open and pliable enough to, to receive it. So I totally agree with what um, Rita said. And even for the leadership books that I've mentioned, Emily, um, these are leadership books that, that have been helpful. And what I wanted to do was add to the collection of leadership books that are out there to add my perspective. I really appreciate what you're, you're saying and, and this importance of um, learning from and engaging other, other voices um, and also really of having, having a network. Right. Um, first and only, you, you talk about that, um, the importance of having a network for personal um, as well as professional, professional reasons um, to really have that sense of a real community and women that um, can hold you accountable and women that can challenge you to grow um, and also women that you can lean on when things go badly, um, when it's time for the ugly cry. Um, so in our, our kind of culture, relationships, especially relationships um, between women, uh, can really easily drop to the bottom of the priority list as folks are super busy and overstressed and overtaxed. So tell us about why um, it's so important to build strong relationships um, with other women and especially with other Black women. It's important because you can only see what you can see. And so um, when I show up, I show up as... Um, as a middle-class black woman, I show up as a single mother, I show up as a Christian woman. That is my starting point for how I interpret, how I view the world. And of course I show up as a black woman, right? And then when you layer in the various experiences that I've had throughout my life, that colors and that shapes how I view the world. Well, when you surround yourself with different people and people who are committed to loving you and telling you the truth, they will see things that you may not see. And so I was talking to, um, to a friend, Teslin Fergaro, and um, I was asking her her perspective and she's quoted in the book. And she said, you know, we talk a lot about um, black girl magic. And sometimes we have to call out each other when things don't, um, if, if she called it black girl, um, um, black girl resistance. Or, uh, and, and, and basically what she said is sometimes we get so excited about the euphoria that we don't, that we forsake the importance of being in close relationships so that we can be accountable to one another. And what I found in my life is the richness that has come in my life, it has come through other people. Um, there have been blind spots that I've not been able to see. And uh, that has come through people who I'm in relationship with, or at least flagging that. There have also been times where people have accused me of things and I've gone to the people who really know me and they've said, no, that's not true. 
that's not you. No, I know you. I've been with you. I've walked with you for a while. That one doesn't belong to you. And you have to give that back. And sometimes when you're in a place of vulnerability, um, you need someone to say, no, that, that's not who you are, Jennifer, or to remind you of what you've forgotten about who you are and, um, and the role and the gifts that you have. You know, sometimes when people think about starting businesses, one of the first places that coaches will tell you to start is to go to your network and to ask them their opinion of what you do well, because the people around you can see things that perhaps you take advantage of. And so this, um, this being in relationship with one another, close relationship, I can't overstate that enough. I have a dear, dear friend. And um, when I moved to DC a decade ago, I said, hmm, I'm lonely. I need my friend here. And my friend was in Columbus. And I called her and I said, you know, um, why don't you move to DC? And she said, well, I've got to find a job. And so the job that I worked for, I found someone in the political department and I harassed the guy until he gave my friend an interview and he ended up hiring her and she moved to DC. And so we were in DC together, we were really excited. I recently moved back to Columbus, Ohio. And when I got back here, I said, hmm, I miss my friend. And I was not, I would not dare ask her to move back here. But um, she called me on Martin Luther King Day and she said, I need you to call me back. And I called her back and she said, um, she said, I miss you. And she said, you know, I've been so focused on my career. I know you've been focused on your work, but friendships are what are what is important and we have to reconnect. And so we, we caught up, we talked for you know, a good 40 minutes. We had a nice, ugly cry together. And I told her, I said, you know, I love you. And she said, oh my God, Jennifer, you know, you never show that much emotion. And she's like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and then she texted me when we got finished talking and she said, and yes, I'm thinking about coming back to Columbus. And so um, just uh, again, the richness that I've experienced, it has come from being in relationship close relationship with other women. I, I really love how um, uh, deeply you dive into this question of relationship, right? Relationship um, between women and also a woman's relationship to herself yes. um, and a woman's a relationship to God, right? These, these relationships that are so central um, to, to what it means to be a, a person. And I'm gonna just pull a, a quote. You say, um, our path to excellence at work and in life lies in self-acceptance and radical self-love, which is a powerful sentence. So I want to turn, we're talking about relationships between women. I want to talk about that internal um, relationship, because I think for, for many women, um, it, this is easier said than done. Um, so help us uh, unpack that a little bit. You're fearfully and wonderfully um, made, but, but what if you're struggling to feel that? What does radical self-love and self-acceptance look like? So um, it is very, very important that we that we are, that we take time to self-reflect and that we take time to really know ourselves. And what I have heard is that every relationship a person has is a reflection of the relationship a person is having with themselves. And so if you find that all of your relationships are toxic, you have to think about how you are relating to yourself and the messages that you are giving back to yourself. And so, um, I had a beautiful friend or I have a beautiful friend and we went through a period and, and uh, I, I heard her um, first. I thought, you know, she's, she's judging me, you know, and nothing that I, that I do is measuring up. That was my first thought. 
And as I spent more time around her, I realized, no, she's judging herself. And because she's judging herself, that's all that she has to give. And the truth is, I can't give you anything that I have not cultivated within myself. And so um, if I have a poor uh, self concept of myself, I'm going to judge other people harshly. If I'm very judgmental towards myself, if I beat up on myself, beating up on myself is not going to lead to progress, but it's also going to cause me to be harsh and unforgiving. Uh, and I'm going to beat up on other people because that's how I relate to myself. And so when I think about the relationships in, in my life, and if I see a relationship and I say, wow, this doesn't feel good, I don't like it, the first place I have to start is, is that person mirroring back to you something that's in you? And how do you know it if that's not you? And so um, when you meet someone and if you and that person, you, you, you all are just like um, grading with each other, you have to ask yourself, is there something in me that this person is exposing? The other thing that I talk about in the book is reconnecting with our inner child, because, um, you know, I think at one point there was this myth that, you know, in order to advance, you just work hard and you just do the best that you can. But sometimes there are things that have happened to us in our childhood that make it difficult for us to advance. But unless you have sat with your childhood, unless you have examined all facets of it, unless you understand why you do what you do, then you're not going to be able to move beyond it and it's going to show up in other relationships. And so what I, what I have been trying to do is when I see a part of myself that, um, that I don't care for, I notice it. And then I still tell myself, I love you. You know, you're beautiful, you're wonderfully made. And then I give it to God. And I ask God, well, God, can you help me with this area? And the help, it's not gonna come overnight. And part of it is just being okay with that. A beautiful analogy, the best way that I know to explain this to you is most of my life, my weight has been up and down. You know, I will be higher than I want and then I'll go through a period well, where I will lose weight. But what I have learned is if I get to the point where let's say I'm, I'm, I'm a higher weight than what I want to be, and if I send myself negative messages, if I look at my body and discuss instead of looking, my, looking at my body and say, God, thank you, I will never lose weight. The times in my life where I have gotten to a healthy weight is the times when I've said, oh God, I thank you for my arms. Thank you for my stomach. My son used to say, mommy, your stomach is a pillow. And saying, okay, you know, and my daughter said the other day, your stomach is so squishy. And I said, okay, well, that's your pillow, you know. And so um, the love that if we can cultivate love for ourselves, it's easier to give that love to other people. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of, um, of spending time with ourselves and loving ourselves the way that we are today. You know, I may never have a body like Holly, Halle Berry, and I have to be okay with that. And I am okay with it. You know, my hips will, my thighs will always rub together and that's okay too. It just is what it is. Where you are fearfully and wonderfully that's made. Right. That's right. And I, I just want to note for those who might be listening to this um, podcast later, that our chat is just blowing up. Gwen saying, this is so good. Sabrina saying, this is tr so true. Daphne saying, thank you for that insight. Jane saying, bless you. So it, this is uh, really, I think, hitting a, a corner for many uh, United Methodist Women members um, and, and friends. Um, so I really um, 
just want want to uh, affirm that for those who might be listening later and, and therefore not be able to see all of the chat, uh, chat comments. Um, we're seeing this feedback in real time. I'd love to know what other uh, feedback have you been receiving so far on the book on first and only? So the feedback has been great. Um, I'm doing an event on Monday with Bennett College and Bennett is a historically black college in, um, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And this past Monday, I did a call with their president and she had the book and she, she had it marked up. You know, she had tabs sticking out of it. And she talked to me about how the book had impacted her life. And as I sat there, um, I was in some ways moved to tears because when you, if you've ever written a book, you know that, um, um, that the writing process is hard. And then if you're doing something that God has asked you to do, the enemy will give you messages. I mean, the enemy, he's faithful too, right? And he, so he'll say, oh, no, don't do that. No one is going to buy it. You know, why would you, why would you do that? And so uh, to have that kind of feedback, it was kind of surreal. I almost felt like there was someone sitting in the chair and I was standing up and I was like, is this really happening? And I, I mean, I've been getting a ton of, of positive feedback. I mentioned uh, Christy Lauren Adams, and she, she messaged me and she said that in the first few pages, she had already seen, she, she already felt seen. And that is my goal. I want women to feel, I want women to feel seen. Thank you so much, uh, so much for this um, and for this invitation. Um, it really is a, a powerful, a powerful piece. Um, I want to want to note we saw a suggestion here in the chat. Um, one uh, member who's already saying that we will read this. Roxy says we will read this in our Bible study book club, which I think is a wonderful way um, to to use and engage this book. Um, and and from what I hear, there might be uh, some forthcoming. Um, uh, opportunities for how you could use this um, in a in a group. Um, so let me ask, uh, how might our, our members engage this book, whether it's individually or whether it's together in their circle or unit? So it's a, um, individually is, is great, um, but also it's a great tool for a book club. It's a great tool for, for Christian women. It's a great tool for, um, for reflection and I've gotten a few requests for um, um, teaching guides, and so I'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll be sharing that. Thank you so, so much. Um, so, in addition to, of course, pre-ordering the book, um, gifting the book to other uh, women in our lives, um, to to um, friends and uh, colleagues and mentees, perhaps using it in our. Um, a book club, Bible study, um, and so on. Um, any other ideas in addition to all of this uh, for how we can support um, and promote and celebrate with you the release of this powerful book? So um, before I answer that question, there's one thing that I wanna say about the book. So in the book, I share with you all my experience. Uh, I'm very vulnerable in the book. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a section for journaling. And so I realize that I'm giving you my perspective, but there are some things that you may have experienced. Um, and so I ask you to write about, you know, have you ever experienced this? How did you feel? Or what have you done to manage this? So at the end of every chapter, there's a place for you to write in the book. And I wanted to put that in there because again, I understand that this is one person's perspective. 
And I understand that we that as we go through different things in life, it hits us differently. So I, you can use the book as not only a resource, but you can also use it as um, as a journal. So do that. I also um, it, it has been hard for me to follow the chat, but I did see um, um, my mentee Sabrina Pringle who has worked with me and never ceases to bring a smile to my face and make me laugh <laughs> in the midst of like really tough stuff. So Sabrina, I wanna say thank you for, um, for joining. And Sydney's probably on, Sydney works with me, but I wanna call them out um, because I, I saw them. In terms of how you can support the book, um, tell people about the book. You know, it's, I think it's impossible to read this book and not be changed. You know, I give my testimony in the book, um, you know, read it, sit with it. And as Rita said, have an open heart and think about, okay, well, how can I apply this? And then ask God, well, what can I do? But this is not something that I want you to read and never tell anyone. I want you to tell people. If you read one chapter, tell people about that one chapter. <laughs> so if you read, you know, three chapters and then you have to put it down and come, to, come back to it, start talking then, start talking now. In fact, um, post on social media. And once you buy the book, I would really, really appreciate it if once you buy the book, tag me on social media. I'll put my, um, I'll put my handle in the chat feature, but tag me, Shel send me a picture of you and, and the book. And um, it would really encourage me, if, when you read this book, if you're blessed by it, it would really encourage me for you to tell me that. And you can do that, you know, you can email me, you can, um, you can say something on social media, but if it speaks to you, if it blesses, to, blesses you, let me know that. Well, you are already uh, blessing our listeners here. We have more than 500 women on this podcast um, and we are hearing all kinds of, of thank yous and also some, some reflections. This is bringing up emotions in me. Things that I might not have um, uh, thought about recently are, are coming up. Um, and so we really appreciate um, this invitation you're, you're giving us to think um, in a deeper way and in a more holistic way about what, what is this work of um, thriving, thriving at work, thriving in life? What is, what is um, uh, the work that needs to be done, um, not only uh, within oneself, but also within the broader society, right? To really create that context of, of liberation. Yeah, and I wanna share one more thing. Um, when, when we talked earlier about like self-acceptance and self-love, I think that is really, really critical for women. And it's really, really critical as we think about racial justice. I think it is the job of the enemy to get us to feel guilty, to get us to feel ashamed so that we push it in, in the corner. And um, for me in my life, when I've done things that I'm not proud of, um, I lately, I have learned to see it. And, and then to just say, okay, this is a part of me that's not great, God help me. And then to leave it there. You don't have to beat yourself up. Um, if there have been times that I needed to ask for people's forgiveness and to go and, and, and ask for forgiveness. But what I, what I don't want you to do is to, um, to get to a place of guilt or shame because I know in my life when I've gotten to that place, good fruit really can't come from that place because when you get ashamed or when you feel guilty you just want to hide and in order to heal we have to come out of come out of hiding and just sit with it okay this is this is an area that i'm struggling with and it just is and i'm going to struggle with it until i don't struggle with it you know so just um 
give yourself a lot of grace in this process. Jennifer, I am so um, glad and deeply honored to have shared this hour for you. Um, just as we wrap up, um, a reminder for those um, who haven't pre-ordered yet, can you just remind us um, how we can get this book um, in our hands or into the hands of uh, the, the women in our life with whom we'd like to share it? So um, you can order the book from any, any book, book retailer. Um, you can order it from your local, in fact, you should order it from your local bookstores, support independent book um, bookstores. You can order it from the publisher, Broadleaf Books. You can order it from Barnes and Noble. Walmart is, is, is carrying it. Um, Target is carrying it. Um, Christian bookstores have it. So you can order it um, any, anywhere. And let me just share, let me just share one more story with you all before we wrap. When I started working on this book, I started working on it as a journal and I kept feeling like God wanted me to keep going. When I got to about 90 pages of the book, I felt like, okay, I'm in a good place and now I know it's gonna be a book. I went into my prayer closet and I told God, and I, I, I'm working, I was working on two books at the time. One book has not been published. It's just like sitting there until it's time. But I went into my prayer closet and I told God, I said, you know, you told me to write these books. I did not come up with this idea of my own. You told me to write these books and I need you to bring them to fruition. And I, I put both books up to, to God. And two weeks later, the editor of this book found me on social media and asked me what I was working on and if I had anything that I could send her. And within six weeks, I had a book contract. So when I say that this is divinely appointed, I didn't go looking for a publisher. I didn't go looking for an agent. God sent the person to me. All I did was I was obedient when he told me to write and I just kept writing. So I just want to share that with you all and to encourage you that, um, that not only is this book divinely appointed, but if there's something in your life, I feel like if we are obedient to taking our steps, God will, he'll do the rest, but we have to take our steps. That publisher didn't call me until I got 90 pages in. So until I was obedient in the writing process. Well, this is a wonderful uh, testimony, this book about the gift of being obedient to God's call on one's life, um, the fruit that is being born um, in and through you, this incredible ministry. I'm so grateful. Again, the name of the book is First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and in life, we would encourage you all to um, pre-order it now. And you can also continue um, subscribe to this podcast as an ongoing way um, to engage with Jennifer Farmer. She will be back in this seat, um, interviewing and engaging uh, a number of women around this intersection of uh, faith, justice, call, and leadership. Um, so blessings for those who are going on to leadership development days um, over the coming few days. And thank you again, um, Jennifer, the gift uh, for the gift of this book. It has really um, already been uh, a blessing for me and I know it will be a blessing for so many um, of our members and so many other uh, folks in the church and beyond. So thank you, um, Jennifer, for this hour and for all the wisdom you have shared with us. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.